Our scripture today is from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 through 11. This is the word of God. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. Thanks, Zach, and thanks, Daniel. Well, um, the, the usual diet uh, of preaching here at Redeemer Church is usually us going through a book of the Bible together. So um, we, we just finished up the book of Acts last week, uh, and next week the plan is to start the book of Titus. Uh, and, and the way we usually, we usually have Old Testament books in the fall, we'll probably be in Jeremiah this fall, uh, and then we'll do a New Testament book in the spring. Uh, and the summer is kind of a wild card. We might do old or new. Uh, sometimes we'll do like a topic, like I think one summer we did prayer for, for several weeks. Um, one thing that uh, we don't want to do here is preach the headlines. So like, for example, in 2020, there was all kinds of stuff going on, right? And so you had, you had COVID, you had race and justice, you had the election. And so we talked some about, you know, should we address one of these things? Should we you know, preach on justice or something like that? Um, and we thought that instead of preaching a message or a series on one of those issues, it might be better to look back into to a time in the scriptures when the world was kind of upside down like our time was in 2020. So we went to 587 BC after the fall of Judah and we studied the book of Lamentations. And so we went through that. So uh, I think it's, it's safe. Uh, it's, it's, it's good for you and safe for me if we don't preach the headlines and just kind of stick with the scriptures. But, uh, or excuse me, not with the scriptures, we'll always do that, but to stick with just, just books going through that. Uh, but today we're going to go outside of our usual diet. Uh, like I said, we're in between books, we're in between Acts and Titus. Uh, and so today I'm going to do what we call a standalone sermon. That just means it's a single sermon. It's not a part of a series. Uh, and so here's what we're doing. Uh, I'm sure everybody knows that we are uh, in what has been called Pride Month, uh, where the LGBTQ movement is being celebrated. Uh, and even though I understand that this is just the world we live in, and I don't expect the world at large uh, to be in agreement with what the Bible teaches, it, it is remarkable at, at how preachy this, this movement does seem to be. You know, it's not just like this hidden event that kind of goes, comes and goes, uh, that few people acknowledge. Like, did y'all even know we just had Flag Day, like not long ago, like June 14th? It's on the calendar. It comes and goes. Most people don't know about it. You know, certainly there's not a whole lot of fanfare about it. Uh, but with, with Pride Month, it seems to be everywhere. And so with it being everywhere, and it's even like, it's not just like for adults. It's even in like kids' cartoons and stuff like that. It's just, it's at stores. It's at Target. Uh, it's, it's, just, it's just everywhere. And so we thought it would be good for us to take a, a moment, consider the issue around Pride Month, and, and look at it through the lens of Scripture and the gospel. And, and let me say on the front end, there's two errors that I'm wanting to avoid here. Uh, one response would be harsh and, and self-righteous judgment. So I, do, I don't want to do that. But the other response is just to be very affirming and say it's not that big of a deal. So, so those are the two errors that I, that I want to avoid. And so uh, as we look at this together, as we consider this together, I want to I consider it in three 
ways, and, and the three ways I want to do, I want to, I want to consider three words, and I'm going to hang you know, some ideas on these three words. And here are the three words. The first word is order. The second word is instruction. And the third word is inclusion. Now, when I said inclusion, some of y'all might flinch because that word is usually meant in a way different than the, I'm, the way I'm going to use it. So hear me out on that third point. So just, just hang in there. So, all right, so let's begin with order. All right, in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates the world and everything in it, and he created order. So, so God made man, and then he took a part of man and made the woman, and the woman was to be his helper, Genesis 2, 17. And so in that, the man was in authority over his wife. The, the wife was given to the man, and the man was, and then we see this really clear in the New Testament, that leadership in, in the Christian household is for the man, and the woman uh, is in submission to the man in that. That's just the order that the Bible teaches. And then something interesting, with the, the human beings, under them were the animals. So, so there was man over woman, and then there was human beings, man and woman, over the animals. That was the order that God created in Genesis 1 and 2. Now, in Genesis 3, another character enters in, right? It's, it's Satan. You guys all know the story. Now, what form does Satan take when he enters the garden? He enters in as a snake, as an animal. And so he's there as a snake, and does the snake, does Satan go after the man? No, he doesn't. He goes after Eve. But then after Eve, does he go after the man? No. Eve goes to Adam after Satan goes to her. So, so there's this org chart where it's man over the, over the wife and, and, and man and woman over the animals. That's kind of the org chart, if you will, of God's design. And then what Satan did was he flipped the org chart over to where it went from the animal to the woman to the man. And so what Satan is aiming for, what he's out to do is to undo the order that God has set up. So in Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So the order that God made was human beings would be made in his image. So one thing that Satan would like to do was to make them not like that, to make them not not godlike, not godly. And then another category that is relevant to the month that we're in is that the distinction between a man and a woman is something that Satan would like to undo. So God made the woman for the man. They are designed to be together. And so it would make sense that Satan would want to mess with that order to where he would lead people towards men being with men and women being with women. Or what we're seeing in the trans movement where men are turning away from being men in order to become women, or women turning away from being women in order to become men. So, so it makes sense if you know that, that what Satan's up to is to undo the order that God has created, it would make sense that he would do what we're seeing in Pride Month. Like in 1 John five nineteen says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And this is the reason I wanted to bring this up is because a lot of times we might think this is just simply people's preferences and people just kind of choose to be this way or they have these kind of tendencies. And, and I think the scripture is clear that it goes deeper than that. There's a battle being fought on a deeper level that God has set up an order and his adversary is trying to reverse that order. 
So one reason that Christians cannot and must not affirm the LGBTQ movement is because it goes against the order God has set up and because it works in harmony with Satan's agenda for the world to undo God's order. And another reason that Christians cannot and must not affirm the LGBTQ uh, movement is because it goes against God's instructions, which brings me to my second point, God's instructions. So one verse that often gets used when Christians are talking about this kind of stuff is Leviticus 18.22. And it says this, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. But if you've ever seen anyone argue about this issue with with non-believers, one thing they'll often say about that verse is that Christians aren't being consistent. Because what they'll say, if they've done a little bit of homework, they'll say, well, hey, turn one chapter over to Leviticus 19.19. And there we see that, that you should not wear garments made of two types of cloths. And so probably most of our clothes are made of two types of cloths right now. And so they'll say, you're quoting me, Leviticus 18, where homosexuality is forbidden. But here you are breaking the law of Leviticus 19. And so you're clearly inconsistent with what you're picking and choosing. So that's kind of the claim is that Christians aren't consistent and they're hypocrites. And since you're wearing clothing made of two different types of material, you should then be okay with homosexuality. But... This is not an issue for anyone who knows their Bible fairly well. So first we need to figure out what carries over from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I mean, that's kind of basic 101 stuff. And and you need to know the answer to that. If you don't know the answer to that, then then you're not developing as you should. This should be something you learn in year two of walking with the Lord. About the Old Testament is different from the New Testament. And how we understand what carries over from the Old to the New is important. So... Now, with this, with what carries over from the Old Testament to the New, Christians will sometimes disagree on some points, but only some points. Most things are pretty easy to figure out. And and here's the most basic, easy way. I mean, there's books about this, and I could give a a six-week series on this. But here's the most basic way to know what carries over from the Old Testament and what doesn't. If the New Testament says, you don't have to do it anymore, then you don't have to do it. It's like the food laws, like you don't have to do that. And if the New Testament says you still have to do it, then you have to do it. And so as Christians, we interpret the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. And it's kind of that easy. There's some complicated parts, but that's where it's it's kind of easy. It's just like with the New Testament, you go with it with the New Testament. And so if the New Testament continues to, it affirms what's said in the Old Testament, then you continue with that. So some Christians might disagree over how to observe or not observe the Sabbath. We might even disagree in this room on that. And the issue is a little bit about continuity and discontinuity. How does it, how does it come over? And sometimes the New Testament is really clear on this, and sometimes it's less clear. But, but one issue that is not up for debate and hasn't really been up for debate for 2,000 years is the issue of homosexuality. And the reason this hasn't been up for debate for 2,000 years is because the New Testament directly addresses this. So so here's what the New Testament is. I'm going to look at three passages. So the first one is Romans 1, if you want to turn there. Romans 1, verse 24 to 27. All right, Romans 1, 24 to 27. And the idea of Romans chapter 1 and 2 is Paul's just saying, hey, everybody's guilty. Uh, and he's talking about uh, religious people, irreligious people. And then anyway, um, and when he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 24 to 27, uh, he speaks directly into the issue of homosexuality. All right, Romans 1, 24 says this. <clears throat> excuse me. 
Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and men likewise excuse me, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So in verse 24, Paul says they dishonor their bodies among themselves. Then he goes further in 26, 27, and says that God gave them up to the dishonorable passions, meaning that meant men being with men sexually and women being with women sexually. I don't know how anyone can read that and think that homosexual relationships are supported biblically. I mean, it's going to be a far reach. You're going to have to do some serious stretching to come to that conclusion or to come to a different conclusion. Now, if you want to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to look at one more place. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 and 10 says this, excuse me, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I should be clear here that no one is saved by being good enough or by managing their sin well enough. We're saved by Jesus taking the punishment we deserved on the cross and giving us his righteousness, his good record of obedience uh, being counted for us. We're saved by repenting and believing on that, the finished work of Jesus. And we're united to Christ in such a way that our sin is cast on him and his good record of obedience is put on us. And so when we are united to Christ in that way, we receive the spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And when you have this new spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, it does not let us live in peace with sin. And so evidence of the spirit means that you're at least trying to turn from sin and to follow Jesus. And if you're not fighting it, then you need to have concern for your soul. So if a person says they follow Jesus, but they practice homosexuality, then they need to have concern for their soul. And what they don't need is affirmation for their sin. And and here's what makes me angry about what I see happening during Pride Month. It's not homosexuality. That's just another sin. There's lots of sins. There's heterosexual sin. There's lying sin. I mean, all of us are, are sinners. So it's not the sin that angers me during Pride Month. What angers me are the Christians in churches who are affirming it. Because those who live in that lifestyle have souls that are in great danger. And these Christians in church are saying, all is well. And I'll tell you what, these churches, they don't get the gospel. Because here's the deal. You know what the law is supposed to do? There's three purposes of the law. Here's one of them. It teaches us what to do. One purpose of the law, crush you. You're supposed to see your sin and say, oh my, I am in great danger of God's wrath. I need a savior. And so what these people are doing when they're affirming this, they're putting a block for these people to know they need a savior. They're like the false prophets in Jeremiah's day who are saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And look, I get it. Like I'm a people pleaser. I really want people to like me. And even as a pastor, I don't know, maybe this is bad motives. Y'all can judge me however you want to, but 
I often don't like sharing that I'm a pastor, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Like, I've, people act differently once you say you're a pastor, right? And it just it annoys me, and they might think I'm up or judgmental or whatever. And so anyway, I get the whole idea of, of wanting people to like you, but it would be like a doctor not telling a patient they're sick and in great danger because they don't want to come across as judgmental. It's like, no, that's your duty. You, you must say this. And you know what I think about the Christians and churches who affirm like the LGBTQ lifestyle? You know what they make me think of? And I don't know if y'all, y'all, some of y'all might have a category for this, some of y'all might not. I think about the parents who so desperately want their kids and their kids' friends to like them that they let them like drink, smoke, and party, whatever, at their house because they just so want their kids to like them and to think they're cool. And it's just, I, I don't have a whole lot of respect for that. And I certainly don't have a whole lot of respect when churches and Christians are doing this for these folks. And, and, and the other reason, I have very little respect for Christians and for churches that are so affirming on this is that I think they care more about how they are perceived by the LGBTQ community than they care about the souls of those in that community. They're so nearsighted that they care more about being accepted than where someone else might spend eternity. Um, several years ago, uh, Jen Hatmaker, she's a popular author, podcast um, uh, person, and really likable, funny. Uh, I've, I've, you know, I'm kind of familiar with some of her work. Uh, but several years ago, she came out supporting um, uh, homosexual, uh, the LGBTQ movement or whatever. Uh, and not long after she came out affirming that, um, a la- another lady named Rosaria Butterfield wrote a response to what Jen Hatmaker had said. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield uh, is a former lesbian who at one time lived with another woman, but she later became a Christian and she turned away from that lifestyle. Uh, And here's what she said about the problem with Christians being affirming towards homosexuality. So she said this, this is Rosaria Butterfield. She said, a few years ago, I was speaking at a large church and an older woman waited until the end of the evening and approached me. She told me that she was 75 years old that she had been married to a woman for 50 years and that she and her partner had children and grandchildren. Then she said something chilling. In a hushed voice, she whispered, I have heard the gospel and I understand that I may lose everything. Why didn't anyone tell me this before? Why did people I love not tell me that I would one day have to choose like this? That's a good question. Why did not one person tell this dear image bearer that she could not have illicit love and gospel peace at the same time? Why didn't anyone throughout all these decades tell this woman that sin and Christ cannot abide together? For the cross never makes itself an ally with the sin it must crush. Because Christ took our sin upon himself and paid the ransom for its dreadful cross. So here's what you need to understand as a Christian. As a Christian, it is unloving for you to affirm homosexuality or the LGBTQ movement. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the scripture is clear. That includes those who practice homosexuality. I mean, how could we don't have that option? No matter how nice you want to be, how accepted you want to be, it's just clear in the scripture. And that's not according to my opinion or society or some kind of social construct. That is just what the scriptures teach. And it's plain and simple and has been for 2,000 years. And you have to try really hard to make those verses mean something else. And here's the last one. It's the verse we read earlier. But uh, 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. But uh, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. 
for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So there it is again, men who practice homosexuality right there next to what? Enslavers. An enslaver is a human trafficker. So having a month to celebrate homosexuality would be in God's sight like having a month to celebrate human trafficking. I mean, that's what it's like. And here's part of why I want to bring this up. I think we're largely just kind of desensitized to it. It's not that big of a deal. Some people are like that, whatever. But in God's sight, in the list we just saw, like what, what if July was, hey, a lot of people feel guilty about their human trafficking. We really got to lift them up. Let them know, hey, this is a safe place. If you're a human trafficker, you can come in here. We won't judge you. You can continue doing what you're doing. So all that to say is, I, I don't think we're, we're, we're shaped and formed by the world we live in. And I think we're getting shaped and formed more than we realize. And a lot of us probably know it's, it's, it's wrong or the Bible speaks against it. But I think we've probably become desensitized to quite a degree. Now, the, the last thing I want to talk about is inclusion. And like I said earlier, when I say inclusion, I probably don't mean what you think I mean. So uh, as I say inclusion, I obviously don't mean that we should affirm homosexuality. Instead, I want to make sure that we include ourselves as sinners with them, that, that we're more like people in that movement than unlike them. Because every member of Redeemer Church and every person that is a part of the LGBT community, what we share in common is that we are both desperately and equally in need of a Savior. Homosexuality is a perversion of what God has designed, and anything having to do with sex outside of a husband and wife relationship is a perversion of God's design. And so when we back up and think about our own life, we have all distorted God's design, and we're all hopelessly guilty. So if we're ever speaking with someone who struggles with this type of sin, we need to remember that we're more like them than unlike them. And in Luke 18, Jesus tells a story of the Pharisees, of the Pharisee and the tax collector who are praying together. And the prayer of the Pharisee is focused on how he's a pretty good guy, and he's not like this other sinner, this tax collector over here. He's a pretty, pretty bad dude. And then the prayer of the tax collector He's just focused on, on, on how bad a guy he is and how much mercy he needs from God. And Jesus closed out the parable saying that the tax collector went to his house justified rather than the other. So if this is something you struggle with, I do not want to encourage you to be okay with it. I don't want to affirm you in it. And I definitely don't want to encourage you to be proud about it. It's one of the many sins that should humble you and show you your need for a savior. And if you do not struggle with this issue, never think you are better than anyone who does. Because there might be an issue you struggle with that they don't struggle with. And it doesn't make you better that you have a different type of sin. So don't be like the Pharisee. Be like the tax collector, humbled by his own sin, not the Pharisee who's proud that he doesn't sin the way other, people's, other people do. So... Let me close out with this. You know, if you think about um, 
Pride Month, there's a symbol that's out there, right? It's, it's, it's the rainbow. So I just want to close out and speak briefly about the rainbow. Uh, it's the universal symbol, as I understand it, for the LGBTQ movement. Um, and we read about the rainbow in Genesis chapter 9, verse 11 through 13. I'll, I'll read it real quick. Genesis 9, 11 says, uh, I establish my covenant with you. God says, I establish my covenant with you <clears throat> that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall, be, shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and this shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So he said, I've set my bow in the cloud. We, of course, know this as the rainbow. But the word here is not rainbow, is it? <clears throat> Excuse me. The word here is bow. And what a bow is, it's like a bow, like a bow and arrow. It's a, it's a weapon of war. And so God is promising that he's not going to unleash his wrath like he did in the flood. And so what's the symbol that he's going to use to say, I'm not going to attack the earth again like this? He takes his bow, a weapon of war, and he hangs it up, saying, I'm hanging this up. I'm not going to attack in this way again. Now, some commentators go a step further in this. So most people would agree that, that it, the rainbow, it's not just a pretty sign. It's, it's a weapon. And God showing his weapon is being hung up. He's not using it. It's being withheld. Other commentators, and, and I think they might be right, says that it's more than just him hanging it up. The bow is pointing somewhere. It's pointing to heaven. It's pointing to God himself. So they suggest that the rainbow is a picture of God turning his wrath against himself. God's wrath and judgment being unleashed on Jesus. And that makes a lot of sense to me. So when you see the rainbow in the sky, or when you see the rainbow on some kind of gay pride stuff, we should think about God withholding his wrath. We should perhaps see God's bow of wrath pointing towards himself. We should see that bow. When we see it in the sky or any kind of gay pride merchandise, we should see that bow pointing towards Jesus for us. And with that in mind, how odd it is that the rainbow is the symbol for the LGBTQ movement. Their symbol is literally the symbol of God's wrath being withheld. Isn't that ironic? And in light of that, author Jared Wilson says this, to tout the rainbow then as a symbol of man-centered pride is to urge the Lord actually to take up his bow again, to take it back in hand and draw it back. Celebrating pride is courting condemnation. So, may when we see that rainbow, may we pray that God would grant repentance to those who celebrate the LGBTQ movement. They're all sinners just like us. And just like us in our sin, they don't need affirmation. They need repentance and faith in the finished work of Jesus. And may God grant that to them and continue to grant it to us. Because as we're about to sing, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your mercy on us as sinners. And forgive us at Redeemer Church for ways that um, we make sin to be not sin.
that we cover over it, uh, we justify it, uh, we look over it in other ways, and we, um, we rob ourselves from the mercy that we need. Uh, and I pray in Starville that those who are in the LGBTQ movement who struggle with this sin, uh, that you would uh, not grant them peace in their sin, but that you would give them great unrest and that they would see it as sin so that they might come as sinners to Jesus because he offers mercy richly to all who come humble uh, in belief and repentance of their sin. And so, Lord, would you help us to seek your face, to seek your mercy. May we never be proud knowing that we're sinners saved by grace and grace alone. And Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.